Hi, I'm Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Katina Sawyer, and welcome to the Worker Being Podcast. Today, we are so excited to be joined by Anna Auerbach. She's the co-founder and co-CEO of Work. Um, she's going to tell us all about what they do at work. So welcome. So nice to have you, Anna. I'm so happy to join you both. Really looking forward to our conversation. Well, thank you again. So let us know what work's all about. We want to hear all about it. Um, we've heard really great things. We know a friend of ours that works for one of your clients. So, but we'd love to hear it from your side, from your mouth. What does work do and what's your mission? Of course. Um, so work is a people analytics platform for workplace flexibility, which is just a lot of big words to say we help companies be more flexible and to embrace a culture of flexibility. And the way we do that is through data. So what's interesting today is, you know, we've all heard of companies that have flexibility policies. It's no surprise. It's obviously, you know, something that's very much in demand. But one of the challenges we've observed is that there's a huge, what I like to call, information gap. So companies don't know what types of programs to offer. They don't know how to measure what's working. They don't know if they're meeting the needs of their employees. And that's where we come in. So instead of you know flexibility something being something soft and squishy, as it often has been in the past, we introduce really hard data and behavioral science to help companies understand what flex they should offer, how well their employee needs are being met, where there are challenges or inequities, and basically we give them the pilot's dashboard to fly that flexibility plane. That's awesome. Um, you know, I we love behavioral science and we're researchers, so uh, that's right up our alley. We always love to hear that. Um, and it sounds like you've got a lot of really great data backing up why you're doing what you're doing. But before we return to kind of the nitty gritty of those details that you're pitching, what led you to be interested in flexibility in general? Like uh, what brought you to this place that you felt like you wanted to found something that was, you know, sort of putting the idea of flexibility in front of employers in this way? Well, it probably won't surprise you both, but it came out of a personal passion and personal experience. So, you know, I was coming out of business school and when I went to business school, it was still like only 30% women. And, you know, as I was thinking about my career options, I thought, you know, of looking around at different opportunities and, you know, you look around and there's so few women in leadership and the data on uh, women at the highest levels of leadership pipeline, it's just, it's just so depressing, right? Um, it's hard to find role models. It's hard to think of yourself being in places where you don't see people that look like yourself. And so I was obsessed with this idea, you know, long story short, got a job, all that was good. We had like a big life change, welcome to child to our family. And, you know, after our son was born, uh, my husband and I both realized like something had to give, right? And we try to have as equal a relationship as possible. I'm sure it's not perfectly equal, but somebody had to take him to doctor's appointments. Somebody had to be there, you know, to release the nanny. And, you know, I became obsessed with this idea that life is messy. It's inherently messy with children, with family, with caregiving, with health, with commutes, with whatever it is that makes up your own life. Um, and yet work seems to be fundamentally inflexible, right? The fact that we think about the workday is nine to six when why nine to six? That feels super irrelevant in a time when we're all actually working around the clock. We're all, you know, global citizens. Like it, it all feels like a little bit random and artificial. Um, we should work a lot smarter. And the challenge for that is I think it has an acute effect on women and caregivers more broadly. So our son, when he was little, had, you know, the most minor health issue. He had something called torticollis, which anybody who's been through it will know what that is, but all it means is like he had a hard time turning his neck, you know, the other direction. He had dominance to his right side, and so he needed a weekly physical therapy. 
like so not a big deal, but that did mean weekly appointments, being there, you know, kind of supervising mm. that. And even that was hard to negotiate in my job at the time. And so for me, all of this came out of a personal passion of, you know, life is going to continue to be inherently messy. That's what makes it beautiful. And the more companies can help us operate within sort of the known chaos that's going to happen, the more likely we are to work harder, to be loyal, to be happier, to be healthier. Um, and so that was my obsession that led to launching the company. Well, everything you've said is definitely aligned with the research. Um, we know that having a flexible workplace leads to all the things that you just mentioned. Um, and I, we totally agree. I mean, we know that everything around work-life balance and this like ideal of being able to balance your life doesn't exist if you can't have any flexibility in your your life and in your work. Um, so I think it makes a lot of sense that this is a, a very important driver for organizations to be focusing on flexibility. Um, that's been a big area of research when it comes to how to design jobs um, and really being able to make sure that jobs are help helpful for people, not just for the organization and being able to help people be more productive, but also happier and healthier in the workplace includes things like job autonomy and job autonomy is often linked to job flexibility, being able to do things on your own time, on your own schedule. And there's so many different jobs in our society and in our economy today that actually should allow for that. So that's super exciting that you're doing that. And I'm really excited that there's a lot of interest in this space. So we would love to hear more about you know, I understand why flexible workplaces are important. Everything that you've said makes a lot of sense. Have you done research? I mean, you're doing a lot with data with your clients. So what research have you found um, from your organization that helps support this idea that flexible workplaces are really important? Yeah, we have a ton of data. We have like all the data. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I think what's, uh, what's, what's really interesting, and I, you know, I'll, I'll share some of the data nuggets, but I think for me, what, one of the more interesting things has been just my own journey with flexibility. You know, I, as you just heard my story, it, a lot of it for me had to do with caregiving and those responsibilities. And so I definitely approached sort of the need for flexibility from a women first, caregiving first angle. But I think, you know, on my own journey over the last three and a half years with the company, one of the things I've learned is it, it's, it's flexibility for everyone, right? It's not just about women. It's not just about caregivers, you know, just because somebody's a parent is no more important or less important than the fact that somebody has health issues or somebody has a challenging commute. Like all, all of those things are equally viable, equally important, equally challenging. And so, you know, we definitely think about this also as like needs agnostic. And I think that's been a learning curve for myself as well. Um, and the data is fascinating. So what's really interesting is, first of all, in terms of the impact of flexibility, right? Um, a lot of times when people are afraid of flexibility, they're quick to point out, well, what is this going to do to attendance, to productivity, to collaboration, to all of that? And our data is just really striking. We did a massive study of the white collar workforce in the US, um, and I'm excited for us to expand it beyond that scope in the future. But even just from this population, um, we see on average a 38-point increase in employee net promoter scores for employees that have their needs met. So let me break that down. Wow. So employee net promoter score is just like a consumer net promoter score, which is how likely are you to recommend, you know, fill in the blank to a friend or colleague. Um, and they go from minus 100 to 100. So a 38-point change is massive. It's actually one of the biggest effects you can see. And we segment the population based on how well their individual needs are met, not their wants. It's not a want to work from home on Friday, but you know, my friction points in my life necessitate this or that kind of flexibility. And we actually have our own algorithm that picks up on that. And so that's a massive effect. Um, 
We also see a huge effect when it comes to turnover. One in two employees are planning to leave their job in the next six months to a year because of a lack of flexibility. I mean, that's huge. That's just going to be a hemorrhage of talent, right? And it's actually, interestingly, it's actually even among men and women and caregivers and non-caregivers, right? So that's why I think the needs agnostic thing is so, so interesting. Um, And the last thing, and it's actually new data that we have as we've been working with companies, is around productivity. So I think productivity has been sort of this mythical, you know, elusive element of uh, flexibility. And that's where a lot of the fear comes from. But we finally have really hard data when it comes to productivity and performance. So we measure productivity by discretionary effort, which means how likely are you to go above and beyond for your job? Um, the reason we do that is most companies don't like have a numerical score. Like most employees don't know if they're like an A employee or a C employee. Or, you know, we, we don't really give like numerical or letter grades to our employees. And so measuring mm-hmm. discretionary effort is actually the best leading indicator of actual performance. And what we see is that for those that have their flexibility needs met, their discretionary effort is 5.5 times higher than those that don't have their needs met. So that's crazy, right? So this is like really exponential change. Um, And so Mm -hmm. that's some of the things that we're observing is is the effects are massive and, you know, they're easily attained because in our work with companies, we're seeing these differences happen in a matter of six months. Wow. That's really, really a quick return on investment there. Um, Could you talk a little bit more about kind of how you're gathering that data or what kinds of things you're asking people to weigh in on? Um, You know, because that's like really, really awesome in terms of results. Um, So are you like going into clients and trying to measure the extent to which like a pre and post uh, type, like when we implement these kinds of flexible work designs, this is how people feel before and after kind of how are you gauging those sorts of things? Because that data is really fascinating. So this is exactly our secret sauce. So what we do and, you know, kind of the easiest way to describe it is we're taking really granular human data. So information about people's friction points, like their commutes, their caregiving responsibilities, how productive they are in their current office environment. Um, And we're using our algorithm to translate that into actual insights. And so the way we're collecting these frictions is it's a psychometric assessment. So it feels like a personality test for anybody that's taken something like a Myers-Briggs or a Hogan, like that's what it feels like. Um, So we're not asking, what do you want? We're really trying to understand how deep every individual's frictions are and then how well those frictions are addressed. And yes, we do pre and post. So, you know, uh, we generally ask companies to reassess within six months or a year, depending on kind of how much progress they think they've made. Obviously, the assessment gets smarter every time and shorter and quicker. And so we can see the difference over a course of six months. Um, We also do a, a bunch of other sort of side measures in terms of less around true behavioral change and more around kind of things that happened over time. So did you have a conversation with your manager about flexibility? How aware are you of your company's flexibility policies? And that data is super interesting as well. So I think about that as sort of like the intermediate step. But what we find is that over the course of six months, three quarters of employees end up having a conversation with their manager about flexibility. And that's something that wasn't happening before. So a lot of what we're doing is you know, certainly we're elevating insights to executives to help them make better decisions around policies, you know, based on the actual needs of the organization. But we're also fundamentally opening up a dialogue. And so much of this is around, you know, sort of the on the ground relationship between an employee and their manager. And we're really opening that up and allowing managers to engage more effectively with their employee. And just one example is, 
you know, we don't just do data. We have a bunch of resources and supports and guides that help to uh, support that cultural change. But one of the things we encourage managers to do is to have a conversation with their employee whenever their next, you know, review or professional development session is. And so instead of, you know, what are your goals? What are you working on? What's challenging? Um, we ask them to ask, how does the structure of your workday enable or hinder your performance? And I think that's something managers are haven't been asking in the past, right? So the way you work and your environment, your productivity, is it's so interlinked. And so having managers really think about how the structure of somebody's workday is really affecting their performance and productivity is, is a game changer. And I think just by opening up some of these conversations, that's what's allowing us to have such big results and so quickly. That makes a lot of sense because that conversation, like you said, that relationship is so important. I think a lot of the fear around things like remote work um, always comes from a trust issue or some some issue with the relationship. Um, so starting those conversations and having that dialogue going would, and you know, based on the research and based on you know what you're saying and what we know would help with a lot of that. So not only is the data obviously very important and helpful, um, but people talking about it and getting to know their employees in a different way and talking through the issues and being able to understand where they're coming from and building that trust relationship um, would make go a really long way. I mean, that relationship is so critical for so many different things. Like we know that's so related to employee engagement, um, performance, job satisfaction, all the different outcomes that are very important to make employees uh, work environment positive. So it makes a lot of sense that starting this conversation around flexibility would lead to a lot of these outcomes that you're talking about. And one of the more really, one of the more interesting things that we found is that so much of it is about the labeling system, right? So if you think about it, the words we use, the language we use, it's just so important, right? What we call something actually matters. Uh, and so one thing that we've done is we've developed our own taxonomy for flexibility. So it, we have six different types of flexibility in our universe. Um, they're mutually exclusive, collectively exhaustive, and all that means is we're actually able to collect unique streams of data. But what's really cool about that is first, you know, all the data kind of bubbles up through this taxonomy so companies can figure out, you know, what policies they need to implement. But the other thing is we're actually also giving individuals an understanding of their flex profile. So going back to the Myers-Briggs analogy, you know, it's for anybody who's done that, it's actually really empowering to know what your sort of work style, work personality is because you're much better able to communicate kind of how, how you work as an individual. So for example, if you're an introvert, which you can tell I clearly am not, but if you are an introvert, you know, you can tell your manager that brainstorming sessions are really challenging for you because it's really hard for you to think on the spot, that you want to, you know, go back to your desk, have a quiet environment, collect your thoughts, and then share them. In the same way, giving people an understanding of their flex profile and a label of, like, I'm a desk plus employee is, is just really facilitates that conversation. So instead of saying, I want to work from home on Fridays, that, that's not really well received. Um, if you say sort of my productivity, you know, flex style is desk plus, and I do my work best when I can spend one or two days of the week in a different environment other than the office because that really enables me to do my heads down work, my writing, my financial modeling, whatever it is you do. That is such a different conversation. And I think having that labeling system and the right tools and the right language is just so empowering for people. Yeah. So are you seeing this like flex style, uh, uh, 
assessment as being a way that employees are able to communicate more effectively. So uh, it kind of gives people a common language. So I think like one of the things that's useful about just gaining information about yourself or other people in the workplace uh, is that you have this common language then that everybody's sort of on the same page with so that when you go to your manager, you say, you know, instead of looking like the only lonely that's like, you know, I really could use this flexible work schedule. Maybe there are other people that agree, but they're not speaking up about it. And it's kind of on you to provide uh, that information. And you kind of look like you're asking for something. Instead, you come in and allow people to have kind of a common language to interact with one another around so that everybody's taken the assessment. It's a known thing about individuals, which way they prefer to work. And so it's not, you know, seeming like you as the employee is having to initiate this conversation. And it's also not like you're coming up with on your own what you think you might need, but rather there are these designated types um, that you've derived that people can use to kind of communicate what their needs are. Exactly. And I think that's what's really powerful, what you just said, you know, in terms of needs versus wants, right? And thinking about this as things that enable your performance. I mean, listen, there's a blurry line between needs and wants, right? I'm not going to pretend that you know, the fact that you have a commute, is that a need or is that a want that you want to minimize your commute? I'd argue it's a need, but you know, we start to get into the gray area with some of these things. But as much as you're able to really communicate things in a way that talk about how it enables the function of your job, the more successful we're all going to be. I mean, yes, you know, ultimately want managers to like we're all humans. We want managers to understand our personal situations and really want to meet us with, you know, our personal goals. But ultimately we all have job requirements, job goals, job responsibilities we need to deliver. And so the more we can position flexibility as something that helps you perform better, the the better off we're all going to be. Completely agree. Um, The one thing I wanted to ask you kind of feeding off of all this. And I mean, I think it's great that your program and everything that you're doing gives people this language. If you're working for an environment that doesn't have this right now, so if you're at a company that's not doing this and you're you know, an individual contributor employee, what would you recommend they do to try to help create a more flexible work environment for themselves if they're having issues and they're struggling? Do you have any tips or tricks that might help them even if they're not in a position of leadership or power? Yes, always tips and tricks. Um, I love that question. So I I think one thing to know is I I do think the market is changing really quickly. I mean, three and a half years ago when we launched, people were still asking us why flexibility. I'd be hard pressed to think of a conversation recently where somebody argued against flexibility, you know, in a a conversation. And I think now it's how do we make this work? So So I do think our environment is changing very quickly. That being said, not every company is there today. Um, I think for individuals, you know, that are a company that is less flexible today, I think the best thing that they can do is to actually better understand their peers' needs and to kind of see if there's a way to sort of rally the troops, if you will, but then also to work individually with their manager. So I think so much of it is, is we look around and sometimes the failures stand out so much more than the successes. But on a one-to-one basis, it's often very easy to work out with your manager a program that works. I actually think scaling it is what's hard. And that's where we come in is, you know, it's very easy to have a conversation one-to-one. It's much harder when you have 5,000 employees to have 5,000 conversations. Um, so I do think, you know, starting to do this in sort of microcultures and within your own manager. And the way I'd encourage people to position it is, is going back to the language we talked about, which is sort of a business-first language. So talking to your own direct manager about how, you know, a certain type of modification, be it time or 
location-based modification can really enable you to work better. So, you know, the example I shared, you know, what if your job requires you to do a lot of documentation or um, coding or financial modeling, things that are really individual tasks, right? You really don't need to collaborate for most of those things. Um, and you're in an open office environment. It is perfectly reasonable to talk to your manager and say, you know, I need deep focus to accomplish my job responsibilities. And it's really challenging to do that in our environment. It's really challenging to do that with hot desking. If I could work from another location one or two days a week, you know, that would really improve my performance. I'd, I'd be much more focused. I'd get a lot more done. And the best thing to do is also to put out there, let's revisit in six months. Let's give this a shot. Let's give it 90 days. Let's give it six months. And let's see how things go. And let's revisit and see how everybody's feeling. And these things really never fail. But it's a way to get managers and an organization comfortable with testing it out. Um, and I think what's fascinating today is as so many companies have moved to these open office layouts, we're now seeing the pendulum swing the other way. It's really hard for a lot of people and for a lot of different types of job functions to be productive in that environment. I'm an extrovert. I thrive in that environment. And yet I also get distracted in that environment, you know. And so I think as companies have made those moves for a variety of reasons of wanting things to be more collaborative or to save on real estate costs or to be more efficient, it's definitely affected people's work. And so that's just one example of a way that somebody can position, you know, their own needs around flexibility in the context of, you know, a business first approach. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's really, really helpful in terms of thinking through how people might approach and have these conversations, but also uh, maybe taking some of the research or literature uh, that you have done or that's out there and trying to sort of pitch it. Um, and then, you know, also knowing that there are resources out there that you you're all providing that can help to leverage that into a broader conversation, I think is super helpful. Um, is there anything else that you think that people should know about flexible work environments or about, uh, you know, motivating or empowering workplaces to take this on as an initiative? Um, there, although, you know, there may be a majority of workplaces that are familiar with these concepts. I do think there are still a small number of workplaces that really feel like you need to be face to face all the time. Um, are there particular tactics or ways that, uh, you found successful, uh, in moving those kinds of conversations forward uh, at the enterprise or individual level or anything else that you think uh, might be helpful for our listeners to know, uh, regardless of the culture they're in? Well, so I think what's so interesting is that, well, first, when we think about flexibility is we're often thinking about the more extreme types of flexibility. So I think that's really important for people to keep in mind is naturally when people think flexibility, they think remote. In our universe, remote is only one of six flexibility types. It is the least common. It's, I would say, one of the more controversial ones, and it's also the least in need. So most types of flexibility that people need and that really has the most effect on employees' engagement and productivity are things that I like to think about as flexibility on the margin. So it's around you know, being able to modify your hours slightly. So what we call time shift. So coming in 30 minutes later to accommodate kid drop off or commute or recurring doctor's appointments, um, or, you know, what we call micro agility. And that's the ability to step away in small increments of time to accommodate the unexpected, like, you know, a doctor's appointment or to let in the plumber, things like that. So those two things play with time. And I think we often forget about those. We think about micro agility as something that everybody has, but it's actually not true. And our research shows that three out of four employees that need the ability to step away do not have access to that. 
And that's crazy, right? Three out of four employees are saying that they can't actually like go to, you know, a random doctor's appointment in the middle of the day. So I, I think, you know, one thing to bear in mind for companies, for employees is that flexibility is not just remote and it's not just about location. It's also about time. Sometimes modifying time makes a much bigger difference than modifying location. Um, the second thing is, I, I do think there's, there is a, a swing against it, right? I think in a time of chaos or when companies are struggling or when they're reinventing themselves, the easiest thing to do is bring everyone back to the office. Let me see what everybody's working on. I want to see all the heads at their desks, you know, and it's an over-calibration when there's a time of stress or uncertainty. Um, and those times happen and they pass, but it's often done sort of for the wrong reasons, right? There's a bunch of public examples of companies that have quote unquote canceled flexibility. Yahoo is an example. Um, there was an interesting one earlier this year, which was Bank of New York Mellon. You had a new CEO came in, canceled flexibility. Within a week, there was a mutiny from employees, right? And he walked <laughs> way back from that and was like, all right, look, let's, let's reevaluate. Let's look into the data. Let's see what makes the most sense. And so, you know, sometimes canceling flexibility is a knee-jerk reaction. That doesn't help the average employee, but, you know, sort of for the executives out there being thoughtful, you know, there, there's a better way to manage uncertainty than just bringing everybody back to the office. Um, so that's another important thing to keep in mind. And the last thing is, you know, I would say that's important to remember is that this is, flexibility has to be flexible, right? It's fundamentally fluid and flexible. The reason we need flexibility, and I actually hate the word flexibility. I wish we could call it like a customized or adaptive workday. It's just flexibility is much more known and approachable. Um, but if you think about why this exists, it's kind of where we started the conversation where life is inherently messy and chaotic. And you know what? That's not going to go away, right? As our lives change, as cities change, as our families change, like things just get messy, but just in different ways. And so, you know, flexibility isn't one and done. You don't just, you know, kind of do an analysis, institute some change and call, you know, kind of brush your hands of the whole thing. It's something that has to be sort of an active, living, breathing thing um, and constantly reinvented, which also should give people comfort that if, you know, they're still early in their journey, there's still time and your employees' needs are going to evolve and the market's going to evolve. And so this, there's just, it, it's going to be a journey and it's, and not just a destination for every employee and for every company. I love that. I love everything you've been saying about the fact that, you know, life is messy and there's different ways that this, um, that flexibility needs to be approached. That customized approach is great because like you mentioned before, caretaking families, that's one aspect of life, but there's so many different things going on in people's lives. Um, you know, people that don't have children, people that are not in partnerships, people that, you know, have all sorts of other things outside of work, um, that are impacting their their life if they don't have a flexible place that's customized to the things that they need so I think it makes a lot of sense that thinking about it as a journey thinking about it as something that might change and evolve and it changes and evolves as society changes and evolves but also as your individual life journey evolves so maybe today you need something um, in terms of flexibility that's very different than what you're going to need 10 years from now and I like that that approach to it thinking about it more holistically thinking about it as a customized and changeable thing um, flexible flexibility versus uh, something that's more standalone and now we allow remote work on Fridays and that's it um, versus kind of having this this more holistic approach to it. So I think that's really great and interesting. Um, the final question we have for you in terms of 
the content based. Just wanted to see if there's anything that you wanted to plug in terms of work in your business that you wanted to share that we haven't talked about yet. You know, I think we've learned a lot about the importance of flexibility. I think that what you're doing is really interesting and um, love that you're using so much data. Like we're both data nerds. So we love that. Is there anything else that you want people to know about work before we kind of wrap up? Well, I love that you gave me this opportunity. So thank you for that. Um, No, I mean, I think the biggest thing is if you need any information, resources, data, case studies, any of that um, for your company, for yourself, um, it's all available on our website, which is work, W-E-R-K.co. We have this big research study that I've been referencing that has a lot of the data on engagement, on retention, things like that, and also needs by different demographics and geographies and all that good stuff. We also have some great case studies. So for folks that are trying to advocate for this at work or executives that are thinking about how this works in practice, we have some great case studies of the work in action. And um, that really documents the change that we've seen within companies in terms of increase in engagement, decrease in turnover, increase in productivity. So um, there's a ton of great information and I'm excited for us to share more as we keep going and doing more research in the future. Great. Yeah, we'll definitely link to everything in the show notes. So no fear for the listeners. If you want to check it out, you'll have links there. You can go ahead and um, check out work and the work website. And we have one final fun question. Katina, do you want to take it away? (laughs) Yes. So um, we often encourage people to take little micro breaks from their work uh, when they're feeling like they need to refresh or re-energize. And we even celebrate Take a Break Tuesday to remind people to take their breaks. Um, So we're wondering, what is your favorite thing to do when you're taking a break from your work? Oh, I love, love, love that question. Um, So I love taking breaks, actually. I'm a very intense worker, (laughs) intense thinker. You you know, my team often makes fun of me because if I'm working on something and somebody's talking to me, I can guarantee it did not hear them at all. I'm very, very focused. <laughs> but it also means my ideal schedule is like working for like two or three hours, taking like an hour break and then working again. Um, so on days I am able, my ideal break is actually to go work out and particularly to go do yoga if I can. I'm, I'm an overthinker. My brain is going a million miles an hour. And I, find, I found that yoga is like one of the few places I can actually find peace. Um, and it's been just such an important part of my life for years and years. And I, we actually have a five-month-old also at home. And I, it was one of the things I was like most excited to get back to after having our new baby. Um, and it's even my break for the baby sometimes. So um, that's my way of actually like refreshing, reinventing, reinvigorating. And inevitably, I always feel so much better afterwards. That's a great one. Awesome. No, just thank you so much for being here and uh, reinforcing uh, the importance of being able to have some autonomy in picking when and how you do your work uh, because you're right, life is messy and uh, the only way that we can make sense of the 
mess is to try to put some structure around it. But that doesn't mean that things need to be so rigidly defined. Uh, the boundaries need to be so rigidly defined between the different types of things we do. We can do a whole bunch of things um, in succession that have different sorts of outcomes or different uh, domains associated with them and still be just as productive. So um, we're more productive as your data shows. So uh, thank you so much for having this conversation with us and I hope everyone checks out work. Thank you. This has been so much fun. Thanks so much for having the conversation. Thank you so much to Anna for joining us and talking to us about flexibility and her company work. You can learn more about Anna at work.co, which is W-E-R-K dot C-O. Again, there'll be a link in the show notes. And we'd love to hear from you as well. Let us know your stories about flexibility in the workplace, what questions you might have. You can reach out to us at workerbeing at gmail.com. You can find us on social media at WorkerBeing on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And of course, you can find us on our website, WorkerBeing.com. Thanks for listening. The Worker Being Podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabar and Katina Sawyer, and produced by Allie Johnson. 